having that perspective to, that you will prevail, you just, you don't panic. You'll get through it. You just circle the wagons, hunker down, and pivot if you need to. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I cannot wait for you to hear today's episode. I'm sitting down with a legend in the fitness industry, Mr. Peter Taunton. Now, Peter is a pioneer in the fitness industry. He is the founder of many, many successful fitness change chains, but most notably Snap Fitness. You're going to love his story about how he went the opposite direction of how everybody else was trending back when he decided to come out with Snap Fitness. Uh, He's a big believer in the word passion, and he believes that anyone can be successful. And he shares a difference that he's seen, this very key difference that he's seen between all of those franchisees that he's worked with who crush it and those who just kind of continually seem to tread water. And you're going to want to know what that difference is so that you can then apply that to your life and to your business. He's won numerous, numerous business awards. Maybe one of the coolest ones is the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. That is very exclusive, very cool. And he's also one of the most giving individuals that we have ever had on yet. He gives in a huge way, but then he gives daily in a small way. You're going to love, love, love his story on how he makes a difference every day at just like a street level. And I love it. It's going to inspire you. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'll tell you what, speaking of making a difference, I have a fun idea for this episode. Here's my fun idea. I want you to listen to this episode closely. I want you to learn a bunch, get inspired, but then I want you to share your one favorite takeaway on Instagram from this episode, tagging both Peter and I. He's at Peter Taunton. I'm at Chris W. Harder. I want you to share your favorite takeaway from this episode on Instagram, tagging us both, and I will reward one of you, one random listener that shares a 30-minute coaching call with me on Zoom. That's a $2,000 value. I charge $4,000 an hour for my one-on-one coaching. I'm going to give you a 30-minute coaching call about your business or your life. It's a $2,000 value. All you have to do is take both of us on Instagram with your favorite takeaway so other people can learn, so other people can be inspired. I'll choose one of you random uh, individuals who shares that as a thank you. And speaking of coaching, guys, we're going to be improving and reopening our next round of Fast Foundations in August, literally a month away. So if you're an entrepreneur making under 500 grand and you're looking for that tribe that gets you, you're looking for the accelerated route, you want us to lock arms with you and a very elite group, then I want you to get on the waiting list. Literally, get on the waiting list and you'll be the first to know. Here's the order of how people are going to be able to claim these spots. Ready? The first people I get to claim them are people already in Fast Foundations. Then for the spots that are left, the second people I get to know are the ones that go to fastfoundations.com and put themselves on the waiting list. Then we give them a day or two, and then we tell the general public that we are launching to the general public. And by then, it's usually sold out. So go to fastfoundations.com if you make less than 500 grand a year and you want to make way more than that and lock arms with us for five months while we change your business and change your life. Check it out fastfoundations.com. All right, get ready. Take some notes. Get ready to share this episode because here we go.
Peter, my friend, thank you so much for being on today. You know what, Chris? I've been looking forward to this all week, and it's my pleasure to join you. And th- thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it. My pleasure. My privilege. So uh, I want to start with rapid fire. It's kind of a fun way for my listeners to get to know you in a hurry. And if something good comes up, I promise we'll circle back around and do a deep dive. You down? Yeah, let's do it. All right, real easy. I know these answers, but where'd you grow up? Uh, Minneapolis. And where do you live now? I live in Minneapolis. <laughs> and favorite quote? Um, lunch breaks are for sissies. <laughs> what is one Gordon of your... I love it. The great movie, by the way. Right. What is one of your superpowers? Um, reading people. Ah. What is one of your favorite books? Mm. Boy. Um, Losing My Virginity, Richard Branson. Oh, great book. The way he grew up, the way his parents raised him, incredible. Yeah, good stuff. couple more here. Uh, what are your favorite accomplishments so far? Favorite accomplishments? I'd have to say my three kids. Having my three kids, didn't, you know, that's probably, probably one. And then just the uh, being, being so incredibly successful and not losing myself in the process. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. That absolutely makes sense, actually. Uh, two more. What's yeah. something generous you've done recently? Uh, I feed the homeless a lot. I love that. We're definitely going to talk quite a bit about that. And last but not least, what are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for my life. No doubt about it. I'm a Christian. I'm so grateful for all the blessings. Love it, love it, love it. You and me both. Okay, so I want to start with this. Uh, we are both Midwest born and raised. You, Minnesota. Me, Wisconsin. And yeah. I've met so many friends who are Midwest transplants. Uh, in your case, you're still in the Midwest. I know you got a couple homes that are wildly successful. So what do you think it is about growing up in smaller towns in the Midwest that helps us navigate the business world so well? I think that... Personally, I think that people from the Midwest, and I can't explain why, but I think that they're, they're very grounded. They're very, they're very grounded. They're centered. They're tough. And I think they have to be tough because you have to endure some pretty incredible seasons. Obviously, the summer is fantastic, as we discussed earlier. But you have a winter that, that, that will certainly test your patience. Yeah, it can be and, brutal. Yeah. So I think some of that, I think, you know, j- just in that toughness of getting out of the cold and getting in and out of your car and going to work, I think that breeds it. And I, and I think also that people are uh, generally around here, they're, you know, really, really patient and, and considerate, which I think helps. Yeah, you know, I always like to say growing up in the Midwest, I feel like you're given some really good foundational values, right? So family values, that grit you're talking about, work ethic. Um, I think those things really ring true throughout the the Midwest. And if you can take those great foundational values to maybe the coasts where a lot of the opportunity is or anywhere, um, yeah. it's a great one-two punch. Another thing it, I always it, say... You know, what, you know what, Chris, I'll say on that? Because I, I spend nine months of the year in Miami, which yeah. is, which is my, my home now. But when I tell people, when I meet my friends and I say that I'm from Minneapolis, if they're, if they're employer, employers or if they're entrepreneurs, almost all of them talk about Midwest work ethic, yep. right? So it's not just something that, we, that we, where we're sitting around smoking our own as goss, you, know, you and I being from the Midwest. It's literally people note it and they say, look, Midwestern people, they're focused, they're hardworking, they're honest. It's a good yeah. thing. It's a great thing. quality. It's a thing. Uh, let me ask you the opposite of that question. Growing up in the Midwest, uh, and I'll even go first. Sometimes I felt like if I dream too big or too out loud, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily as welcomed as it is in, in some other areas where people may, you know, accuse people of being too big of dreamers. What was? What do you think is one of the 
uh, let's say, disadvantages about growing up in the Midwest versus one of the coasts or one of the bigger cities? I think I think growing up in 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 the Midwest and then growing up in a small town, I think can, can be a disadvantage for you if you let it get to your head. If you let it get between the six inches between your ears, um, your your toast and. And that's me. I never, I never played small ball. I always dreamed big. Now I'll be, I'll be the first to tell you, Chris. I was, I was shocked when I actually did it. Okay, um, I was shocked when, when my dreams came, came true. They didn't happen immediately. It was, it was twenty five years after the fact, but it was a lot of work, a lot of hard work. But I did it right, and it was that, it was that tenacity. It was that having my father as a role model, watching him go to work every day in his grocery store in my little hometown. So all of that stuff was the perfect, what was the perfect um, environment for me to learn and absorb and see what, what a real honest day's look, uh, work look like. And so for that, I'm really appreciative. I love that. So your father was an entrepreneur with his own store, right? Yeah. He had a grocery store in the small town that, that I grew up in okay. and, and he, and he, he made us all go to work. I mean, it was not an option. What's the best thing he ever taught you that you think you use today? Well, um, the best, I mean, there's several, but the best would be his ability to get people to follow him. And he did it by getting in the trenches. And that was how my dad rolled. He had a grocery store. No kidding. You'd see him at the checkout stand ringing up groceries. You'd see him carrying out groceries. You'd see him shoveling the sidewalk. You'd see him stocking shelves. You'd see him doing the books. He did. He, he put himself above nothing, and if there was a, if there was any any place in the store that was weak or needed some help, he would be right in there without hesitation. And the loyalty that that created within his employees was unbelievable. They, I mean, they would have followed him off a cliff, which was amazing and so beautiful to, to witness. It's amazing. It's, a, it's kind of a great lead into my next question, and that is, you know, you've been interviewed plenty about your success and how you. Are the founder and, and creator of Snap Fitness and all the success that went along with that, along with other chains that you that you had under the parent company, uh, and so I don't want to spend too much time on that story because people can Google it, they can find it in other interviews. But what I'd like to ask you about is your role in creating Snap Fitness. What do you think your one superpower that you answered earlier when you said it was uh, really reading people? What do you think that superpower had to do with the success you experienced? Well, for 20 years, I, and I, I got into the business by a sheer opportunity to try to turn around a family health club. And the, the, the owners, they paid me $16,000 a year, which is just a sniff above poverty. But they said, if you can turn it around, we'll let you acquire equity. Over a period of 20 years, I bought that club and, and, and built seven more. That was the training ground for me. Now, those clubs were about 40,000 square feet, indoor pools, racquetball courts, aerobic studios. That was the thing then. When I sold that company, I'm, I'm sitting back and one of my employees who had been so loyal to me, which I so appreciated, and he, he didn't like the leadership that had the, 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 the group that had bought all of my clubs. The culture had changed within the company. And, and he calls me and says, would you consider building a club? And that's what got me thinking about what if I... What if I did away with the swimming pools and the racquetball courts. And then, so my vision was, I'm going to build a smaller footprint. It's not going to appeal to, appeal to everyone. If you need swimming, if you need childcare, and if you want to play racquetball, I'm not your jam. Okay. Go up the road. But if you want to come in, I'm going to get, I'm going to have great cardio and I'm going to have a lot of diversity in my cardio. I'm going to have strength equipment. I'm going to have selectorized equipment. I'm going to be open 24 hours a day. 
You belong to one, you belong to them all. And by the way, no contract. I have to earn your business, earn your trust every day. So what I believe I'm really good at, I, I believe I'm, 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 I do a decent job at articulating my vision and getting other people to see that vision. And, I, and I'm meticulous to detail. Execution is everything. And, and it worked. That was really, you know, obviously brave and impressive to go the opposite direction of what was trending at that time. You know, the, the no questions with everything. Obviously, it paid off for you. So let's fast forward to today. Um, the fitness industry and the current climate that we're in, uh, the COVID climate, let's call it, gyms are shut down everywhere. We're hearing yeah. people struggling in the fitness industry, no matter what role they played. How does one survive and, and even thrive? Because who wants to just survive? How does one thrive in today's climate and fitness industry? You know what? I was just talking to a group about this very question the other day. And, and, I, and I'll tell you, it's, and, and I'll use my own brands as an example. I had across across four loca- four brands, I had about six thousand locations closed, literally in twenty eight countries. So overnight, literally, it, it was like somebody turning off light switches around the world. Now the pain comes from. Imagine, Chris, if you're one of these franchisees, you bet the farm. This is your business. It was thriving. It was your business. And you ran a lot of your personal expenses through the business, like a lot of people do. And, and suddenly you wake up one day, you're, you're required to close your doors. Now you have no cash flow because you can't charge your members. You still have these personal expenses and bills coming in. You didn't save, you don't have a lot of dry powder on the sidelines, a lot of, a lot of excess cash, because you never were fear of losing your cash because you had good cash flow. So these people had two, maybe three months of dry powder on the sidelines. The bills keep coming. They're trying to work with their landlord to give them a little relief. And it was, it was very, very tough. So they went through 90 to 120 days of, of no cash flow. Now think about me. I can't charge the franchisee because that, that's the wrong thing to do. So we get right in the trenches with our franchisees. We don't bill them. We, do, we give them all kinds of support on how to... How when COVID is over and they can open their doors, what is the new, what's the new normal look like? You have to be really intentional with your hygiene and cleaning, not secretly. I mean, you got to be visible because people need to see that you are intentional and you're taking COVID seriously. Regardless of what the, you know, of what the science says about masks and every, every, you know, it's not the death sentence that everyone thought it was when they initially came out with it. It doesn't matter. Whatever someone's perception is, that's the reality you have to deal with at that moment. Right. And if you don't take them seriously, you're going to offend them and they're going to quit. Right. So that's that piece of it. Now, with our products, having a little bit smaller footprint, people are gravitating to to my type of gyms because and I'm just I'll just use and these are a couple of great great brands, F45, Barry's Bootcamp, Orange Theory. That's, you know, group fitness, functional training. Those are great products. and And I've been members to all of them. But the reality is you're working out four feet from each other. You're sweating, you're breathing. That's not really a COVID-friendly environment today as people think about it. When they walk into a Snap Fitness, literally they can pick the times that they want to come in. There's generally never more than 15 to 20 people working out. And normally it's like four to seven people in a gym. Honestly, you know, people get in and out and get on with their day. 90% of our members live within a mile of our club. They live or work within a mile of our club. So that's why these clubs do so well. You pass me on your way to work and on your way home from work. 
By being so close, you can come home from a long day's work, have dinner with your family and say, hey, honey, I'm going to run up to the club for a minute, grab a quick workout. You're no longer running, driving 15 minutes to the club. So it's really conducive for somebody that wants to get in, get out and get on with their day. You've been an expert in this field for decades now. So this is not your first big recession. This is not your first big uh, shift. This is not your first, maybe your first pandemic. I'm not sure. Well, it's the first pandemic. It's the third. It's the third catastrophic event, though. Okay, so you've been here and done that before. What does the future of monetizing fitness look like one year from now? I think that people are going to. Here's the deal: fitness is here to stay. People are not going to convert into working out at their home because fitness is not only good for you, but there's a social aspect to it as well. It's just like people today. They're people are feeling extremely cooped up, and. And so we have to, you know, the new normal is going to involve us getting out of our house. The new normal does not mean you're going to be wearing a mask and working out with rubber gloves on. That's not going to happen. Okay. People are going to be a little bit more selective in the, in the type of, of environment that they're working out in. In the interim, eventually they're going to lick this thing. They're going to come up with, with, with an antibody that's just going to, that's a vaccine that's going to take care of it. And it's going to be business as usual. But e- either way, you know, one tenth of 1% of the people who contract COVID die. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean you can't take it seriously. But I have dozens of friends that have caught COVID. They lost their taste buds. They had a headache for a couple of days. I mean, honestly, if people weren't talking COVID, 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 they would have went to work. Okay, for real. So it's I don't want to I don't want to minimize it. Okay, I don't and or be insensitive. But I'm just saying that it's this isn't polio. So I'm on the same page as you, by the way. I think people think the world is shifting. Let's use fitness as our, our common thread example here in such a dramatic way. You know, no, everyone's going to work out from home. No one's going to step foot in the gym again. And I would disagree. I feel like in a year from now, for a few reasons, uh, one, law of diminishing returns will just be less significant to everybody that by then. I think the world looks a lot like it did before. But yeah. give me one key way, if you were going to invest a bunch of money in the fitness world right now, give me one key way that you think it will change uh, where I could maybe get ahead. You're going to need you're going to need to have a product that's flexible, all right. And I'm just going to use my my product as an example. It's a product that offers a lot of flexibility to the consumer. Meaning, you belong to one, you belong to them all. So now I've got a lot of choices. Number one, number two, it's open 24 hours a day. Number three, it's affordable. I'm not betting the farm on it. I'm not banking the farm. And the things, everything that I need to get fit is within the four walls. All right. I don't need, I'm not going to be, I'm not taking junior to childcare. So that's a box I don't need to check anymore. Right. So I'm going to re, I'm going to rethink some things, you know, myself. And if I were married, my spouse, and if we had little kids, we would, there would be a lot more coordination there on who's going to go to the gym when and who's going to watch junior. Right. So there's just a little bit more collaboration there. But honestly, this shakedown that we're going through right now, I think as I think by the end of first quarter, um, it, things are going to be really. People are going to have chilled out. They're going to have realized. They're going to have a super plan. The election is going to be behind us. So much of this is politically driven. It's a yep. it's a complete joke. Yep. So I think after November, things are going to magically, dramatically improve. I, that's the word. I think people are going to say, "Wait, what happened to COVID? Why is everyone not talking about it anymore?" It's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's, so it's absolutely ridiculous. Let's shift gears a little bit. I'm I'm so curious. I have hardly had anybody on that has a lot to do with franchising or franchises. Uh, Bedros, yeah. you may know Bedros, founder of Fit Body Bootcamp. I, I, I don't know him personally. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's about as far as we've gotten into franchising. And I've always been curious about it. 
I hear great yep. things about franchising. I hear challenging things about getting into franchises. Uh, so obviously, I'm guessing, number one, you're a fan, right? Yes, of course. All right. So share with us, why, are, why is investing in a franchise a great idea? Well, investing in a franchise, is, it's, a, it's a proven concept. And now, and validation is if you're, I don't care what kind of franchise you're going into, you need to call the operators, the, 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 some of the club owners or business owners, and ask them to be candid and honest with you. And the things you want to ask them is, what kind of support do you get from the corporate office? What kind of marketing campaigns do they do? What are they doing to help you be better? Okay, number one. Now, the thing that you need to understand before you're making those calls, that Generally speaking, if I'm just taking stroking with a broad brush here, you've got about 40% of the franchisees that are average or, or that are subpar, meaning they don't run the play. Literally 40%. Okay. You've got about 40% who do just enough. They they run their business, but they're not overachievers. They're not early, they're not overachievers and they're not early adopters. And here's why that's important because they may be making money. And they're doing just enough, but that doesn't give you the right to take away their franchise because they're in compliance, all right? And then you have 20%. They're the all-stars. They're, they're, the, they're the overachievers, the early adopters, and they're killing it. And I don't care if we're talking Domino's, Snap Fitness, Anytime Fitness, pick it. Doesn't matter. That's generally how it works. I mean, and there's no easy way out. With franchising, it's a business. So you can't just buy a franchise and it magically... It magically just works and, and, you're, and you're financially killing it. You've got to put in the work. But all of the systems and processes and, and ideas and themes and strategies have been thought out for you. So one of the things I like, like you said, the map is there. Just run the play. What do you think it is that differentiates the, the 20% that are crushing it and the rest that, you know, like you said, are treading water? They're not doing bad. They're not doing good. What makes someone really freaking special? I, you know what? It's easy. It's two words. It's discipline and ambition. It's those two things. Okay. Discipline and ambition. So they're ambitious. They're committed to running the play and, and, and they trust the movement. And when they start, believe me, that 20%, they're the poster childs for our brand. If we, if we go into the brand with a thousand some odd franchisees and say, look, hey guys, here's what you need to do. It's blah, blah, blah. I say that this is the way to go. Look, that's going to fall on deaf ears. But if you come back and say, "Hey, look, we've done a case study with the top, you know, with 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 the top twenty percent of our clubs, and here's by implementing the, this process, here's what it did to the bottom line. Here's what it did for retention. Here's what here's how it sped up the sales cycle. All of these things. We hit them with the analytics. But at the end of the day, Chris, when you're talking about franchising, it's it, it's not all kitten balloons and butterflies. You can teach them. You can show them." lead them to the water, but you cannot make them drink, right? At the end of the day, the franchisee has got to run the play and they got to hire the people and they got to show up for work with passion. They can't come in two days a week, empty the till and go back to fishing, golfing or whatever the deal is. One of the things I've heard about franchises in the past is regardless of what franchise it is to really create massive wealth, you're going to have to invest in a handful of them, maybe three, four, five, six. Does that kind of hold true with, with what you've seen? Yeah. And you know what? Wealth is such a relative term, right? Um, so, um, you know, some people, and I ask people that too. I say, look, what, what, what's your, what's your, what's your nut, right? What's your nut? What's your dream? I mean, when I, when I was in the trenches, when I was running the company every day, or even early on when I was literally the one selling franchises and, and doing it all, 
um, I would I would ask people, what what's your dream? So I would always say, this is a blank canvas. What does this look like five years for you? Right. And because I need to know what that is, because if they say, you know, I want to make a half million dollars a year, I want to upgrade my house, but look, you're not going to do that on one club. So I'm just I just be real candid with them. And then I try to help them find creative ways to leverage themselves so they can buy two or three licenses. Maybe that maybe I bring in a strategic financial partner for them that's going to give them some capital. So there's a lot of ways to get there, but they're not going to get there the way that they're envisioning it because they just don't have the horsepower. Such a great, such a great question. You know, what's your dream in five years? You recently actually stepped down last year from CEO. Yeah. And yes. so I'd have to turn that question on you. What's your dream for five years from now? You know what? I, I look at a I look at a longer picture. So I reflect when I got out of the when I stepped down from the company, I, I as you know, I'm a Christian. I said I'm not going to do anything for 40 days and 40 nights, right? So I literally did nothing. I did nothing but reflect. And and in those times of reflection, I thought about my gosh, what a what an unbelievable ride it was to to have to take an idea to and I, I take it all the way back to as a kid. I grew up in a two-room schoolhouse. You know, I grew up in a two-room schoolhouse in a little town, fifteen thousand people, youngest of seven kids with an identical twin. I look at that to to building a you know a two hundred plus million dollar health club you know empire. That's I'm living proof that the American dream is possible. I true, and when I'm when I'm public speaking and when I'm doing these podcasts or what I'm mentoring, I talk about it. Look, dream big, don't play small ball. Right. So for me, what does the next 50 years look like? I only do things that I enjoy. So I'm in I'm in the music festival business. I love that. I do some charity benefit concerts at my lake home here where I'm at right now. I own a, a, a five-star luxury camp in the Serengeti. Um, I love that. That's such a cool jam. You'd love it too. Um, I own a manufacturing company. A friend of mine and I, and and uh, we make biodegradable products. We create these little pellets that are biodegradable, and they get into injection moldings to create everything from uh, you know pots that 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 plants go into those little K cups, those, those little curing cups. You know, yeah. So, yeah. so, but everything that I'm doing are things that I enjoy that I that I like to think have some sort of a positive impact. But I don't get up every day, and I'm not grinding anymore. And I promise myself, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm really going to try to show up every day. And and to be honest with you, Chris, for the last thirty years. I, ch- I was chasing money. I was chasing money. I'm not. I'm not a lie about it. I'm not a. I'm, I'm not a. I, believe me, I didn't cut any throats to get where I am. I, I don't roll that way. But man, I was. No, no one was going to outwork me for damn sure. Uh, I was all in from the day that I got. The, the day that I felt a little momentum, I never. I never looked back. And my twin brother, coincidentally, is the same way. He's just a freaking grinder, right? And. Uh, so it just worked out. And I owe I a lot of the credit to being the youngest of seven kids where you fought for everything. And a dad that, and a father, a parents that didn't take any shit. You know, my dad ran the house with an iron fist. For 30 years, you said you chased money. You grinded. Yeah. Was it worth it? Yeah. You know what? That's a great question, Chris. And people say, do you have any regrets? I do. I do. And, and the only reason I say it is because I have, um, I, I have, I can reflect and I have perspective. And I always tell people, I wish I would have danced more. And and what I mean by that is, I was so busy working that I didn't I didn't travel as much as I would have liked. Traveled for pleasure. Um, I you know I I found that I had 
without even really paying attention that I had, you know, ab- abandoned some beautiful friendships that I had from from college and and growing up and the grind. You know, you just get busy and and you just lose it. It's and it's so lame. It's such a lame excuse on my part. And so when I stepped away and, and coming back, I'm reengaging some old friends and. No, I apologize to them. I say, hey, look, you know what? And they don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm I'm harvest on myself, but I say, man, you know what? I was a real, I was a real douche, friend. But the, you know, I just moved on, and, and I was so caught up in my company and growing, and you know, I was just all encompassed in it. So I wish I'd, I wish I had slowed it down a little bit. But you don't get a do over. You know, we said we talk about it all the time. Yesterday, it's gone. You know what? So just look forward and say, look, I'm, I'm going to show up so much differently for the next 50 years than I did the last the last 30. Talk to me about what that looks like. So you said that you're not grinding anymore, but I know you get your hands in a lot of companies still. And I know you're driven still. So what does yeah. your new slower, less grind-looking day look like? Well, it's... it's um, you know, I just launched a CBD company. Yeah, friend of ours. Uh, yeah, well, mutual I, friend. I get, yeah, you got it. So I get to... I get the privilege of working with a, with with a couple of guys that have become good friends of mine now. I get the privilege of working with my oldest son. Um, that's a little different dynamic, right? Um, and I and I truly enjoy it. I, I don't panic, and and I always say in in dire times, and and that's one thing that that perspective gives you is when you've seen you saw the dot com crash, you saw the um, the real estate crash, and now you're seeing COVID. All three of these were major deals. Okay, major problems. So it's it's a um, having that that perspective to, that you will prevail. You just you don't panic. You will get through it. You just circle the wagons, hunker down, and pivot if you need to. How are you going to police yourself to not fall into the old habits of grinding? How are you going to make sure that every day is, let's say, uh, more enjoyable or more life worthy first, and business building second? I make it a priority. I mean, when I get up in the morning, you know, I say I say a little prayer. I I give thanks, and and I I, I ask God every day. I say, God, put me. My thing now is because I feel so unbelievably blessed. I ask Him to put me in front of people that I can help in His name, and and if I'm able to leave them with a positive light, a positive thought, or make a positive impact that they see His face and not mine. So that's those. That's my. That's how I start every day. Every single day, multiple times throughout the day, I'm I'm you know I reflect and give thanks. Um, I'm still doing my thing, right? And it's it's just I can, I go with the flow. I have certain things that I want to get done today. I knew I had a couple of podcasts today. I I went podcast, I grocery shop, and I worked out. You know, I made some calls. Um, I had a I had a, a a Zoom call with my camp in Africa. So you're, there's always stuff, right? Yeah. There's always. That's very cool. Okay, so you mentioned a couple of minutes ago uh, that you just launched a CBD company. I've, I've got to ask: Isn't CBD a tough market with a million competitors already? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it is. It's. It's not. It's. It's. It's a competitive space. But um, when I went into the market, any business that I go into today, the last thing I would be, I'm not going to be another Me Too. So I'm not just another CBD company. And I met this woman. Who was so dynamic? She's the, she's the, the you know biologist formulator, call her whatever you want, but she's the one that mixes the blends for the CBD. Well, the CBD products that we have, they're organic, they're vegan, they're gluten free, and they're GMO free. So this this product and it's got a ninety percent absorption rate. Now there's CBD products and they are all over the board. Now here's the reality: 
I've got over an order over 80% reorder with my customers. And when I get people that are taking somebody else's CBD, I say, look, try mine. And here's the deal. It's just like when I opened my health clubs. I said, look, I give you a 30-day satisfaction guarantee. I'm not going to have you sign a contract. I'm going to earn your business, earn your trust every day, just like my CBD products. If you order any of my any of my products, if you're not 100% satisfied with it, send it back. I'll give you your money back because I'm that's that's not a fight I'm going to have, right? I don't I don't roll that way. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you great product that's completely organic, and I'm going to stand behind it and say, look, you're gonna you're gonna be able to take less and have a better effect because of the absorption that this product's going to give you. And I don't have I don't have a hundred SKUs. I have the main staple items of what you need. I'm not going to have you know, CBD gum and CBD. So I'm not, I just stick to the basics of tinctures, topicals. I've got some pet treats. So I keep it real. Gummies. You know. Plug it, man. What's it called? It's ele- so it's elevarelabs.com if you want to find this. E-L-E-V-A-R-E labs.com. Very cool. And, it's, uh, and it's, like I say, go there. We're, we're running promotion. We just launched it here a few days ago, but literally... You know that commercial where the dial was spinning? We did our social media launch. You know, people are sitting around the computer and the orders are coming. For the first for the first two hours of the launch, it was really fun to watch. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I've never had that experience before. That's yes, yeah, so it's fun to like watch it grow right yeah. before your eyes, right? Every order, 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 order. So it was amazing. Very cool. Congratulations. So I want to switch yeah. to generosity. Um, something in, you know, an ethos that you and I really share. You run a massive charity concert called Liberty on the Lake. I think you run some others as well, but that's one I'm familiar with. Tell yeah. us about it. So it's a, it's a benefit concert. So for me, I, I was blessed. In, I, I live on a peninsula here in, 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 on Lake Minnetonka. It's a great and area. It's beautiful. It really, right? It's just so peaceful. And, and it's my, where I live is very, very private. And um, I became friends with Tim McGraw uh, a few years ago, uh, through some other stuff, Tim and I are partners in a health club in Nashville, and that's how we became friends. And I said, "Look, we were just sitting around talking one day, and I said, you know what, Tim? How much is enough? I mean, how much is enough, guys like us, right? You know?" And, and we talked about that. We talked about showing up. How do we want to show up? What's our legacy look like? And I said, "Let's let's do a benefit concert. Let's do a benefit concert at my lake house, and let's let's do it for." The, the, the families of fallen soldiers. Let's pay for the education of the families of fallen soldiers. Love that, by the way. Yeah. Another one. Let's pay. Let's pay to get um, 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 support dogs for the soldiers that suffer from PTSD. So those were the, some of the causes. It, it tends to be, but it's really it's people in need. And, and and Tim said, "Let's do it, man." And he came out. And we had a great show. I invited I invited four hundred special guests, and there were twelve hundred fifty tickets. Hundred percent of it went to charity, right? And but I had there was like 10, 15,000 people on the lake. Yeah, all right? the boats. They started showing up on Thursday for a Saturday concert. They were wow. sleeping. Just camped right out there, anchored down. Didn't move. Wow. Didn't move. They were serious. You must have been they like, were, "This is I'm onto something. This is incredible." Well, it was, and I had security. I had security along the shoreline. Every twenty feet, I had uh, former Navy SEALs as my security team, because it was a military deal, right? And I had I had Navy SEALs skydiving in as we're singing the national anthem. I mean, as I said, just like business, go big or go home. When I do an event, it's 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 on, right? I tried to get, and you know, I I, I shouldn't share it, but what the hell? Here we are. 
I wanted to get a couple of Hueys helicopters and have them hover over my home and have Navy SEALs rappel down onto the, onto the stage. That that, yeah, I couldn't get the airspace cleared. Ah, that would have been pretty cool. Next time, next one. No, for sure, for sure. I was going to do that with a flyover. It was, it was, but I had the the, the seals skydiving in, with, with, and there with the with the, uh, the the tail on the on the parachute was the American flag, and we we're singing the national anthem. It was pretty strong. It's the hair on your arms stand up. It's pretty cool. So when is the next one? Considering the COVID situation, I mean, this is something where if people are in their boats, I would think that's socially distanced, right? Yeah. Uh, well, they they do. I, I actually I was trying to put one together here in uh, on the 29th of August. Trying to, and I was going to do it in in, in uh, combination with Live Nation and iHeartRadio and Twin City Summer Jam. We were going to do this big big jam, but uh, you know everybody's getting kind of cold feet on it. You know, even the artists a little bit. They just don't want so. the press. You know, one case gets out from the big Liberty on the Lake, and yeah, you know how they they push that, right? They push it, and suddenly, oh. You know, everybody's greedy and even though it's for the right causes and, and there's not an ounce of profit made on anything, people just can twist it into a they can turn something that's supposed to be so beautiful into something that's dark and and you know, it's really yeah, it's unfortunate. They, they they push their agenda and uh, yeah. you know, it hurts a lot of people. So what do you think the fu- the future of music events is for a while? Are they just well, you know, canceled? It's, it's, it's scary. It's scary. Outdoor concerts. We're t- the people that I'm talking to that are people that are movers and shakers in the concert space. They're literally talking that it, it's going to be June, July of next year before you see outdoor concerts. Wow. Outdoor concerts, right? Now they're going to do some concerts, but I, I t- t- you know what? It's very, very difficult to do a concert. If you're, let's say you're going to try to do social distancing. All right. You can't, if you normally need, 15,000 fans to, to, to make it to make it hum it's hard to it's hard to make a make a concert work at at 50 percent capacity yep. it's just like a restaurant you know dis, six foot distance nobody builds a restaurant to be that that, that cash flows on 40 percent occupancy hotels the same way the whole thing I mean this thing everybody's doing what they need to do because it's government regulated but all of this has got to just chill. The reality of it is COVID, it's highly contagious. It's not a death sentence. At some point in time, we got to flip it and say, look, if you've got a, pre, a predisposition to, 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 to you know, respiratory issues or whatnot, then you're going to have to do some of these things to keep yourself safe. No different than a, a litany of other diseases out there, right. right? But you can't hold everybody captive, right? You can't. I mean, there are some doctors that say, look, Everybody could conceivably get COVID at one point or another, just like everybody in their life has had a cold multiple times. I'm, I'm you know, for real. So yeah. it's, you know, don't get me started on it, but that's, you know, it's a crazy place. And being right in the middle of, of being an entrepreneur, I empathize with those business owners. I empathize with anyone who's lost a loved one. I get it. You didn't plan for it. It happens fast. If, you know, it seems like if, if, if COVID really has that, that harsh effect on you, that, you know, you'd be gone in, in a month, right? Nobody sees it coming. But still, at the end of the day, it's a fraction of a percent who die from it. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. I, I'm not sure we stick on this topic of, of generosity. You know, the Liberty and the Lake is just one of the many things that you do. Why is generosity and the way, the way at which you do it in such a big way, why is that so important to you? 
it's, I feel like I owe it to society. I think that, that, uh, that those that have been given so much that a lot is expected. So for me, and, and, you know, it drives, it drives some of the, um, the, the, ben, the, the benefits out there. And there's a lot of great causes out there, but I'm not the kind of guy that, that is giving a lot of money into, I don't give a lot of money into my churches. I don't give a lot of money into these big national, um, uh, foundations. I'm more of a grassroots on the street kind of guy. You know what I mean? I love it when when I can go on the streets and uh, and I, I I do it. And my daughter gave me this great idea. I carry around these little envelopes, and she handwrites these these like little prayers in them. She does it for me, and then I put some some uh, cash inside those envelopes, and I always have them on me. And when I see homeless people or whatnot. I, I, I approach them and I give it to them. It's a message, right? And it's, it's, I like that kind of stuff. I like getting on my bike in Miami and I pull this little raggedy trailer I bought on Amazon and I go, I've got a deal worked out with some of the local bakeries. I, I get cookies and cupcakes and, you know, the kind of shit that nobody should eat. But, you know, if I gave them apples and oranges, they'd probably throw it at me as I'm driving away on my bike. So yep. I, give them, I give them stuff that you and I like to eat with bottled water and I make friends, you know, I roll up on them and, and I just say, you know, once I, once I get earn their trust, I, I ask them, I sit right on the curb with them. I said, how'd you get here? Tell me your story. What, right. What is the and common I, answer by the way? Cause everybody always wants to know what's behind this, this homelessness that we're seeing as an epidemic. Some of them are legit. Like people lost their job. Some people, they lost their job and then they lost their wife or, or they lost their husband because they lost confidence in each other. And rather than rallying together and saying, look, locking arms and saying, we are, this is not going to beat us, it does, blend in some alcoholism or chemical dependency, and then, and then sprinkle in a little uh, mental illness, and you've got the recipe for homelessness. And then some of the people get out there, and there's not a one of them that want to be there. And some of them are actually, you can tell the ones that are almost ashamed about it, right? You can see it on their face, and they're almost like, damn, I... And I'm like, look, I'm not the press. I'm just a guy. I'm just, I'm, not, I'm, I'm nothing. I got nothing. All I got is some cupcakes and cookies and, and some water, right? But I've made a lot of friends in, in Miami, in that homeless, homeless area. And, um, you know, every time I go home with an empty trailer, my, my heart is full. How do we fix it? I don't, I don't, I don't think you can. I mean, I don't think you can. I think homelessness is going to be there. It's always going to be there because at the end of the day, it's it's a choice that some people get to make that some people gravitate to, and they say, "Look, um, I I don't work." And there are there are some that get they they get one square meal a day. They 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 figured out the shelters and things like that, and and they probably don't want to get. It. It's a huge problem, especially when you like I say, it's not it's not just the fact they're homeless. It, they've got they're dealing with mental illness and and chemical dependency. It's a it's a big deal. It's a big that's a big laundry list of things to try to clean up. So I couldn't begin to, to give you the answers. That's why I take it at a real surface level. I just show them love and I try to mentor them where I can. And, and I tell them, hey, look, you've, you've made a friend in me and, uh, and I'm pulling for you. I love it. So I a lot of them. Last, last question around generosity. Do you have a favorite moment or a favorite time or a favorite act that stands out to you in all these uh, times that you've helped out? Um, yeah, man. Um, it's, you know, it's really, I was in Miami 
and I roll up on these people and it was, and it was this one lady's um, birthday and I had um, cupcakes and, and she was there with about uh, two other people, not with her, but about 10 feet from her. And as I'm sitting down and talking to her and she's a lady, she's probably in her sixties, looked like she's 80. And she says, uh, Hey, pistol. That's my, my nickname. She goes, pistol. Today's my birthday. And I said, you're kidding me. She said, no, it's my birthday. And she kind of smiles. She's missing a lot of teeth. So I, I, I whistle and I wave and I, and, I, and I get about 15 other homeless people come around. And we had cupcakes and water and saying happy birthday to her. And she, she, you know, she really loved it. And we were kind of dancing around and, and laughing. And you know, I wonder how long she's had a birthday party or anyone acknowledge it. You know what I mean? Literally might be the only one she can remember right now. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But it was a it was a special moment, you know, for her, and certainly a special moment for me. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. So, listen, yeah. where can we follow you? Where can we find you? Um, it's I keep I make it really easy. So, Instagram is is where I do all my posts, and um, it's it's Peter underscore Taunton T A U N T O N. That's that's my handle, and everything that I post is is either it's either motivational or business related, the stuff that I post on my wall for the most part. But the stories for me, I think, and I'm and I'm biased, but the stories for me, I, I think are more interesting just because it gives you a better shot of who I am. Okay. I'm just, you know, I'll and I'll I'm just a normal guy. I've had you know unbelievable success. Um but I think it's important for people to see how I roll. I've been I've been able to pull North of a hundred million out of my company, so I've had an amazing life. But when I'm when I hop out of my cars, I'm kind of a car guy. I'll be a, in blue jeans and a t-shirt. So I would say money doesn't make the man. I'm I may be riding in something a little bit different or flying in something a little bit different, but um, it doesn't that doesn't define who I am, right? So and that's one of the things that I, that I that I really try to appreciate, and I got that from my dad too. My my dad he wasn't a wealthy man, but you know, he 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 put himself on the same field as everyone else. We're all we're all people. I didn't I didn't know that you are a fellow car lover. Real quick, do you have a favorite? Yeah, my Ferrari probably my four eight eight is that's a pretty fun car. To, that's a that's a that's a beefy car. It's you a, know, <laughs> it's a great car. I've got a uh, uh, Aston Martin DBS Superleggera that I hadn't been able to drive for almost ten weeks, and I drove it really? this morning for the first time, and. It, you forget that when you get into this literally art, engineering art, just how great of a moment it can be when you appreciate it. Isn't that the truth? I just got an Aston Martin a year ago, the Vantage. Yeah. And I did it in matte black. Oh, so it's kind of a kind of a, a evil looking car, but it's a that's a really well designed car, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a special car, that's for sure. They're awesome. How long have you had yours? I've had it since November. Oh, how fun, right? Yeah. Second Aston. I'm a big fan. I just think they stand out differently. Yeah, this was my first. So um, you're going to be hooked. I, I promise yeah. you'll be hooked. All right. So, yeah. uh, very last question. Um, give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success. Because if if you're if you're an entrepreneur, all right. Let's say that you're an entrepreneur. If you if you were giving if you were giving financial riches. Um, that's a, that's a different class. That's a different bucket. All right. But if you're somebody that is that is, you know, you, you ground out every round ball, every ground ball, and you, you built it with your two hands, and you surround yourself with great people, it's 
you know, that's, that's not an easy job. It's not an easy task. It's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of discipline. It's a huge commitment. And when I see people that are successful, and it's not just business owners, I give the same kudos to the person who's been working within a company within corporate America, and they started at, at, a, at one level and they worked themselves up to a C level over the last 30 years. Look, you know what? It's the same thing. That is a lot of hard work, late hours, commitment, a lot of sacrifice. So it's not just for business owners, it's for the working class person. So anytime anyone wins in whatever it is they're doing, I'm a big fan of it. So I say, I don't apologize for it. I say, look, I worked my ass off. You weren't there the nights that I was staying up late. You weren't there when all my friends were going out to the beach and I was working in the club. Yet, you know, they weren't they weren't there for those moments. Yep. I love it. I love it. Great answer. Listen, Peter, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your stories, your time, which is massively valuable, all of it. Um, personally, it was a, a great benefit to me, but I know it's a massive benefit to everybody listening. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. And I'd, lo- I'd love to come back. Any, anytime you'll have me, I'd love to come back. You right. had some great questions. That's a deal. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.